And when Jesus himself teaches us how to pray, we should listen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thus sends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. Mm-mm. Last time we looked at the Lord's Prayer, we saw in particular that Jesus instructs us to keep first things first in prayer. We are there to be priorities, God's priorities in prayer. We should begin with praying for God's name to be glorified. Where's that in your priority list when you go before the Lord daily? We need to pray for God's kingdom to come. Not our plans, not our kingdom, not our little world that we want to set up, our little island. And we are to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, O Lord, but your will be done. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I was reading John Stott's commentary. He's a British commentator who's now with Jesus, but he's a really good commentator. And I found this one line that I thought was so beautiful that I put it on my Facebook page. And this is, yeah, I know. But it says this. He said this. True Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and His glory. Isn't that awesome? True Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and with His glory. And guess how many likes I got? Three. I got to be honest. I was a little bit miffed. Because almost always when I put a quote... That I'm, when I'm working on a sermon, I put a quote that I find that I like from a commentary or even from the Bible. I get way more than that. And I thought it was really interesting. And for a long while, I got no likes. And I thought, this is interesting, isn't it? Then I read another post on Facebook, which is always could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, that Facebook. But this gentleman was complaining that God doesn't always show up when he wants him to. And he was complaining that, you know, God supposedly wants this intimate relationship with him, but he's not always there when he, quote unquote, needs him. And I got to admit it, I was miffed again. So I wasn't in a great mood reading Facebook that day. Then I came across an old sermon of Tim Keller. You know who he is? Dr. Tim Keller. He was a church planner in Manhattan. Now he has this huge church planning network. He's a guru in terms of he has all these you know, uh, best-selling books you know, in the New York Times and all that. But I found this old sermon of his, and he put his finger on it, man. He hit the nail on the head, and I said, awesome. He said this. He said, people are divided into only two groups when it comes to religion. I thought, oh boy, here it comes. He said, there are users of God and there are servants of God. And I thought, wow, I never really heard it put that way. Pretty good, right? 
But let me say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, read just really sh- a little brief quote from what he says. He says this, A server and a user differ utterly when their prayers aren't answered. In other words, now you could tell who the server is and who the user is. It's when God doesn't answer. A server says, I'm not in this religion for you, God, to serve me, but I'm in this religion for me to serve you. But a user, when he prays and prays and prays and doesn't get what he wants, he says, what good is this religion? Which shows all along that they were just using God. How many people view God as the genie in the bottle? I'm sorry, I'm just telling it like it is. We rub the lamp, come on God, come through. Want that Mercedes. And he says, you're going to get a Nova, 74 Nova. That's two-tone. And you'll be blessed to have that. After the way you treated me your whole life. When I was a believer, I was about a new believer. I was about 20 years old. Young guy, just saved, and we decided to go bowling. I'm not a big bowler, by the way, but we had fun, and you'll see why. So, uh, so uh, there was a lady next to our lane, and I was sharing the gospel with her a little bit. I mean, it was really neat. The Lord helped, us, helped me strike up a conversation with her, and I just made like some point about the gospel, and then I rolled a gutter ball. And you know what she said? <laughs> Where was your God then? And I don't know, you know, when you're a young believer, God gives you words. Because I just said, hey, he's not my servant. I'm his. And she said, man, you got an answer for everything, don't you? <laughs> and honestly, it's out of the mouths of babes. It was the Holy Spirit gave me that reply. How many times after that I go home and say, I should have said this and I should have said that. So here's the issue. We want our physical, we want our spiritual, we want even our moral needs met. We want our children to be blessed. We want our church to be planted here. We want other, our other churches to, to grow and to be healthy. But God says, make me the center and the focus of your life. Put first my heart, my kingdom, my will. Make me and my name and my glory the center of your petitions. And you'll be amazed at the strength you get from on high. Do you ever hear people say, I wish I had more strength from the, from the Lord? More grace to do what he wants me to do. Second Chronicles 16.7. I love this verse. This will be good for everybody to memorize. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's what God is looking for. He looks throughout this whole earth and he says, who's really committed? Who trusts me? Who's going to go on the line? Who's going to follow Jesus? And then you know what God does for that person? He strengthens them. The problem is, God's not all about blessing our plans. He's not all about blessing our will. We make the plan and then we say, God, bless it. God says, I already have a plan. (laughs) You walk in it. Yes, we're concerned about daily provisions. All of us are. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. And and we're thankful for health. In the the Lord's Prayer, we're just going to see in a few moments, God intimately cares about these things. He wants to provide these things for us. But we have to set our hearts first on His kingdom, His will, His glory. It should excite us when we see God honored and praised. 
When somebody gets saved for the first time, we should be jumping up and down, holding. We should kill the fattened calf and have a party and celebrate. Because that means there's another idolater that now worships the one true God. Now Jesus is getting his due. When we see families put back together in the name of Jesus. Jesus puts it this way later in his sermon, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, meaning your clothes, your food, your shelter. You put God's concerns first. That's what we learned so far in this Lord's teaching on prayer. God's then going to take care of your concerns. That's the order. And he's not going to do it the other way around. Now, this is where the church fathers messed up in their interpretation in the next petition we're going to get into this morning. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's how they argued. Now, how could God go from all this spiritual stuff, honoring God, praising God, seeing God's name honored, to all of a sudden this mundane daily, give us our daily bread? He must be saying, give us, give us the Lord's Supper. <laughs> yeah, they want to, or give us our spiritual bread. But actually, I like the way that um, Martin Luther puts it this way. Uh, well, Martin Luther doesn't put it this way because I don't have that in my notes. I don't know what I was thinking. But I think I have it later, so I'll give you Martin Luther's. But the main thing is here, God is concerned with our physical needs. He is concerned that we have clothes, that we have food, that we have a roof over our head. And so we're going to see when we put God's kingdom, God's will, and God's purposes first, we can then pray for our material, relational, and spiritual needs. Those are the three things we're going to talk about. Our material needs, our relational needs, and our spiritual needs. Let's take a look at the first first thing, material needs. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. In praying this petition, we're humbly recognizing in the presence of God how dependent we are upon his mercy and upon his grace and upon his provisions to take care of us for our physical sustenance. See, think about this. The worldly man thinks it's ridiculous to ask God for his daily bread. Why? Why would I ask God for it? I work for a living. I earn my bread. I don't need to ask God to help me. Well, God knew that that would be the sinful heart of man. And way back in Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18, Moses says this to the people of God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. In other words, who do you think gives you the ability to make wealth? Who do you think gives you the health to get up in the morning and breathe and go to your job and provide? That's the Lord God. And those of us, as we get older, we realize how how delicate our health is and how thankful we are we can get up and go about providing and working. It's the same in the new covenant as it was in the old covenant. We're to ask God for our daily bread, to acknowledge daily before him that we are dependent completely on him. Now, we saw in the Old Testament, and Jesus quotes it himself, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. But man does live on bread. Man does need bread. 
And when we talk about an inner city that we serve God in word and deed, it's because people, when they're hungry, need food. And it's a good thing to pray for, and it comes from God just as the spiritual food does. Now, Luther, I knew I had Luther in here somewhere. This is what he says. Daily bread refers to everything that nourishes our body and meets its needs, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, yard, fields, cattle, money, possessions, a devout spouse, devout children, devout employees, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and other things like these. (laughs) In case we miss something. But here's the thing. I think it would be convicting for most of us in America to pray this prayer. Right? Give us this day what bread? Our daily bread. We don't pray that. Why? Because i got a refrigerator at home that's got at least a week's worth. And then I have a cupboard. That, that could last me a month if I was dying in a famine. What this prayer says is that every day we should be relying on God and acknowledging his bounty. If we're blessed, you know, we, we pray that, we sang that in the song. <laughs> if he adds to your possessions, what? <laughs> you got to talk to the Lord. Because we could forget about him and we could start thinking we're all that without him. No, we express our utter dependence upon God to meet all our needs when we pray this daily. And here's here's an interesting thing too. And then we'll go to the next one. Notice it says, give us this day our daily bread. You realize that? In other words, we are not just concerned with our daily bread personally, but with all God's people the family of God. Give us our daily bread. The early church as well expressed their care one for another. We're in this together. John Stott says, Forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. So the next prayer is, forgive us our debts. And that's the second point I want to bring out of the sermon. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts. Think about this. Prayer can hardly be complete until we confess our sins and humbly ask our Father to forgive our debts that we accumulate on a daily basis. Here's what's interesting. Jesus tells us to ask for our bread daily, but then right after that he says, forgive us our debts. You know what that means? That means the prayer for forgiveness should be just as daily as the prayer for bread. That means while you're on your knees asking God to provide, you also have to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. None of us have arrived. There's none of us that could walk through a day and say, I have kept my soul pure. <laughs> Psst, look at me. And this is something that I, I like to mention. I, I usually say, I say, keep short accounts with God. And a lot of times people say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean. When you don't confess your sins daily, what happens? They start to build up, right? And then you notice something between you and God as if, you know, the whole idea that God moved type of thing. You feel this distance. You don't have that intimacy you used to have with him. And you wonder, what's the problem? Why don't I have this sweet fellowship? Because you're ignoring the elephant in the room. You can't hide from God. He knows what you thought. That's not only what you did and what you said, but he knows what you're thinking in your heart. 
And so that's just as much as we need daily sustenance, nutrition, we need forgiveness. We need to come to God and say, take care of my greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins. You remember Jesus' story in John when he was washing their feet and Peter said, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, wait a minute, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you, but you do need to have your feet washed. It's the same thing. It's not that we have to be born again again. That's heresy. But if we are born again, then we're going to need our feet clean daily because sometimes the church of Jesus Christ is a hot mess. It just is. It's not what we will someday be. We're a work in progress. Over the years, I've heard, constantly hear people saying, I say it myself, I'm guilty of it. The church should do this. The church should, has failed in that. We should do more of this. We need to do a better job at that for caring for the widows, taking care of the elderly, teaching our young people, winning the law, supporting marriage, discipling new converts. Do you got more on the list? And no doubt we need to strive to be more faithful in all the areas. But it's right here that we are reminded on this side of glory we will never get it 100% right. And we need to understand if we find the perfect church, you better not go there because you're going to mess it up because you're not perfect. But it gets better. You notice how Jesus just sneaks in there, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Isn't that interesting? It's a foregone conclusion that you already forgave. Well, in the church, we especially need to take this to heart because we will hurt each other. We will fail. I will fail you. Hear me now. I don't intend on failing you, but I know I will. And you will fail me. It's going to happen one time or another. So when we are in prayer asking God to forgive our debts, as great and as heinous as they are, that means horrible children, it's expected that we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Listen, this is a great quote I found. George Herbert puts it this way. He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Isn't that awesome? He who cannot forgive other people, you busted the bridge that you need to get over. Because you need that forgiveness and you just busted the bridge. And God says, not so fast. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now listen, it only stands the reason. I mentioned it earlier, and Jesus talks about this in a parable. We owe God, if we really want to be technical, trillions in spiritual debts. When we hurt one another, it's an equivalent. They owe us five bucks. Now, God says to us, you know what? Because of my son and because you put your trust in him, I'm going to forgive that debt completely. You can go absolutely free and we can act as if nothing ever happened and we can have deep fellowship and enjoy one another. You could jump on my lap. We can go swimming. We can laugh. Awesome. And then we go and somebody owes us five bucks. And they say, please, I am so sorry. I don't have it. I know I messed up. Just give me time. I'll pay it. And we say, no, I will not forgive that. As a matter of fact, I'm calling the cops. And then we see God and he says, oh, really? That's interesting. 
what I think is interesting here, and people get mixed up. I like what Stott writes. One more from Stott, because he's good. He says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Isn't that cool? In other words, we think our sins are these little picadillos. What are picadillos? I don't know, but they're little. Piccolo, very small. And then we think the sins of others are these enormous, huge, right? Giant rocks. The truth is, when we have a right perspective, we realize it's the opposite. Some people say, wait a minute. This doesn't sound right. It sounds like we are earning God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Let me clear this up. I think I could do it very simply. And then we'll go to our last point, and it's this. Notice, Jesus is talking about those who call God Father. So this is in the family. So it's like a father saying to the child, I'm not forgiving you unless you forgive your brother. So don't come to me and think everything's fine until you make it right with your brother. It's not in order to earn salvation. It's not if you forgive him, then your your eternal sins will be forgiven. What, What Jesus is saying here is, Get right with your, with your brother. And then your father will have a smile on you. And he'll let you go as well. So this is a family prayer. This is in-house. We need to forgive the way that God forgave us. Now what I often do um, in our worship services, I used to do this in Dwaynesburg. I don't do it as much here. And we are, we are going to start doing it. I've been convicted. Is every, like, at least once or twice a month, we will say the Lord's Prayer in prayer together at the end of our prayer time. And one of the reasons I like to do that, and we did do it this morning by including one verse from it, is when we have to read that verse, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Now it's in our face, isn't it? Now we're before God in worship and we are confronted. A lot of times, I don't know about you, but when I hear that verse, somebody's face comes in my head. And I go, oh. <laughs> I say, man, I almost got away with it, right? I was sitting here, praise the Lord, this is great. And then all of a sudden, John's, oh. But the, I have a choice right there to make, don't I? And so do you. I have a choice to let it go. Take the hit. Release them of their debt. And receive God's smile and forgiveness. That's why, again, this is an awesome daily prayer. Now, I'm going to sum it up with an incident from John Wesley's life. He was a great preacher in the early in the 1700s, um, around during the awakening. And, he, and this is the story that's told about him. A man once said to him, Sir, I never forgive. Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. <laughs> I thought that was cool. All right, last thing. Jesus tells us to pray for our material needs, our relational needs, forgiveness, and last of all, our spiritual needs. Look at verse 13. Jesus tells us to pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, sometimes people look at this and say, wait a minute, God doesn't tempt us. James says that, doesn't James says God doesn't tempt anyone. So why would we be praying, lead us not into temptation? Well, I think the answer is simpler than some commentators like to make it. First of all, Jesus doesn't tell us to pray, don't tempt us, right? That's not what he says. He doesn't say don't tempt us. He says don't lead us 
into temptation. In other words, when we pray this prayer, we're acknowledging that we're totally dependent on the sovereign mercy of our loving Heavenly Father to protect us from situations where we would be tempted and vulnerable in our weakness to the devil's schemes. We're saying, God, please keep me. You know my weakness. You know that I can't stand against the evil one. I am not you. Remember, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to the desert so he could be tempted by the devil. And what I'm praying is, God, don't do that to me because I wouldn't last 10 seconds. It would be Adam and Eve all over again. That's why Jesus is the second Adam and he did what the first Adam couldn't do and he's the champion. He smashes the devil's head. And he does just in what we did Farrah Farrah. It's complete. It is finished. Luther Small Catechism says this, God tempts no one, of course, but we pray in this request that God will protect us and save us so that the devil, the world, and our bodily desires will neither deceive us nor seduce us into heresy, despair, or other serious shame or vice, and so that we will win and be victorious in the end, even if they attack us. Listen, if it were not for the grace of God, I would fall in shame like so many other pastors. I know that I'm totally dependent upon God's protection. And the moment I start thinking, I got this, I'm in some deep trouble. But here's the thing, so are you. The moment you think you got this, no, this is a a prayer of humility. We come to our Father. We got to put our armor on, we got to fight the good fight, but ultimately we got to run the race, but ultimately we got to fall on our knees and say, without you, Lord, I can do nothing. I don't stand a chance. 2 Timothy 4.18, this is what Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory and glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope that's your prayer. When I even talk about, oh, you know, I'm going to heaven, I'll see you in heaven, it's only because I know Jesus is the one who is going to get me there. How is this confidence and hope expressed on a daily, from day to day uh, life by God's people? It's by heartfelt, Christ-centered, spirit-filled prayer. Because what is prayer by definition? Prayer by definition is an acknowledgement of our complete inability. When we fall on our knees, we're saying, I'm completely, completely dependent upon you, God. That's what prayer is. I love that song we sang earlier. I would sing it every week if people wouldn't throw something at me. We got to pray, pray, pray. When you see temptation coming, what do you got to do? Pray, pray, pray. And this whole daily thing, I want to make a comment. D.L. Moody once said this, a man can no more take a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. And here's the thing. Could God charge us like a battery and let us go for a while? Yes. But why does God want us to pray daily? You know why? Because he desires a relationship with you. 
He doesn't want you to skip that time with him every day. God says, come to me. I love you. I want to be with you. I, I, I moved heaven and earth so we could be together again. And you know what, Santo? I missed you last night or yesterday morning. You didn't show up. When we don't pray, we're basically saying we don't need God. On all levels. I'll take care of myself physically, relationally, and spiritually. I can handle it. And so Jesus calls us in this prayer to put his priorities first. It should excite us. I should have a thousand likes, right, on that comment that Christian prayer is concerned with God's glory. And we should be praying for these needs, acknowledging that, God, you are the one who loves me and cares for me. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where does your help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for our weak, selfish prayer that starts with me, I give me, I want. Forgive us for not being excited about your glory, about your kingdom's purposes, about seeing Jesus and his name honored and spread throughout all this earth and even in our own lives. So God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. And we even thank you for the grace that you pour out in our hearts so that we can forgive one another from the heart and be a real family that fights sometimes, that hurts one another sometimes, but truly love covers all. Be with us to this end so that, Lord, and as weak and as sinful as we are, we can truly be your light and your salt in a decaying and a dark society. We ask it in your name, Jesus, for your glory and your honor. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.